when you read, you gain information. Once you get some experience, you connect the dots, that information becomes knowledge because you know how to apply it in certain scenarios. And as you learn more over time and you gain more experience, you experience more things yourself, you get feedback from people and then it crystallizes into wisdom, whereas you can start to interpret things more abstractly, philosophically, and also get more clarity of expression, I'd say. Good morning, good afternoon, wherever you are in the world. Welcome back to a new episode of Social Convos. I'm your host, Diego, together with my host, Jean-Luc. Jean-Luc, unmute yourself. The song's going to be a little bit different today because I have some sound issues, which I can't fix without restarting my computer, which I can do because I joined the call late, which is yeah. the first topic we're going to talk about. We're going to talk about arts and creative. And the general understanding, Austin, of artists is they have a lot of freedom. They are not very punctual. And there's a lot of prejudice among artists. But I'm pretty sure you consider yourself an artist, Diego. And I want to call myself an artist. I do yeah. say I a have creative, creative expressions okay. in that sense. But I won't go so far as to call myself an artist because I do not perform a, in a traditional sense of the word artist, of art, like painting. I guess you could put photography in art in a sense, but not that I go so in-depth as to, you know, go deeper into meanings, into techniques, into certain expressions, into certain storytelling. So in that sense, I wouldn't call myself an artist. But on the other spectrum of, as you introduce the topic, art, artists and creativity have a prejudice on freedom and expression and aren't usually punctual. So to address that briefly, yeah, this show is kind of, you know, in a sense, expressing our opinions, expressing our thoughts, but there's a system to it as I do think there is a certain degree of discipline required to you know, show up on time because it is an expectation of one to ourselves, but also to our audience. If we can, you know, follow that expectation. So I said it, right? So it's, it's a discipline, definitely yeah. a discipline. I, I agree with you on the discipline. It's also but, a matter of respect, I think. But before we get into the, the punctual part, first of all, the artist side, like you mentioned, you say like, okay, I don't necessarily consider myself an artist in a traditional sense. And that's where I kind okay, of... Okay, do you consider yeah. me an artist? And why would you I, consider I me an artist? I would consider you an artist. As in, I do consider designers artists. I do consider designers art, designers artists. That's, on that's basis the first, on what criteria? Yeah. On basis on the fact that for me, designs are works of art. They're works of digital art. That's, that's, that's like, if I won't call it a full, def full on definition, but 
for me, it's, and, and that's something you mentioned, like a photographer. And you could say like, yes, I'm a photographer, but I don't consider myself an artist, which would mean that if you take a photo as a photographer, it's just a photo and not a work of art. And in a lot of cases, for me, a photo is a work of art. It's an art form of, and that's where kind of the line gets blurry between artists and creators. And there's a lot of discussion in the field as well. I because, think one big difference yeah. or nuance that should be added is the intent behind the piece, behind Definitely. the expression. And to counteract your point on why you, you find that designers are artists based on they are creating something and expressing it, I won't categorize designers as artists per se because a design is just a medium to communicate. I call designers communicators. But and yes, you, users not to communicate. Yes, I, yes, I, I know, knew you were gonna bring up that point, <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, mean in a sense of more like direct communication or sales communication or just communicating a message. Whereas art has layers to that communication, which is interpreted differently by the perceiver. Whereas e-design has a set goal of communication where the art communication is more expressive, is more free to interpretation. For me, the lines are pretty blurred. I do agree with you to a certain extent. I do relate to what you're saying, but I do think the lines have been blurred. And the lines are continued to be blurred because designers have become artists. Artists have become designers. It's, it's, it's a very fluid state. It's, it's, there are people who clearly have a niche that they go towards and there are people who are often flowing in between. And often, like, like, I wouldn't say often, but I think one of the considerations that's to be made is that when it becomes to becoming a professional, the lines are less blurry. Because as a professional, there's a certain standard or a certain degree of requirements before somebody would con be considered a professional designer or a professional artist. But in the amateur field, the lines are extremely blurry. And they are also blurry because the audience that spectates it doesn't have necessarily the knowledge to distinguish between the two, if you understand what I'm saying with it. So from a professional standpoint, I would fully agree if you would say like, I'm, I don't consider myself a professional artist, I would probably agree. But if you would consider, say like, I don't consider myself an artist, I would be, well, I'm from, from, a, from a, a free, free expressive amateuristic perspective. I wouldn't say that. What nuance would you say, or how would you differentiate amateur from professional? What's the differentiating factor when we're talking about professional? Ooh, I, I mean, is there are some the, somewhat requirements. I would think a, a requirement. Is it the recognition, the following this person has? Is it, is it paid? So the line is blurred because a lot of amateur artists get paid more than professional artists. So the line is really, really much blurred in, in that sense. I think it's, I think it's, it's blurred, but I do feel like professional would require at least a certain amount of expertise. And I wouldn't be no judge for that, given the different professions that there are. But indeed, that is the primary source of income 
or at least a main source of income enough to provide for yourself that would automatically qualify as a professional. Yeah. Yeah. And how much weight would you put on the professional aside from the main source of income, the academic research and path that that is going behind that? Academic research, it's difficult because that's, is it academic research through the educational system? Or is it somebody who does not well, go, like, you know, good well, when I mentioned you know academic, the movie, I, Hunting? Yeah. sorry, the movie, the movie, good will hunting. No, I'm not familiar with that. Sadly. Okay. So quickly, very shortly, Matt Damon is like a super bright kid who doesn't go to school and then he and Ben, or he doesn't go to college and he and Ben Affleck go and roam around universities and, and, and colleges. And then they interact with people, but he's book smart. So he has read everything in books. So he, even the biggest Harvard Law students, he, he talked to them under the table because he knows the books and the literature better than he does. Right. And then he meets Robin Williams, who actually has a profound thought about what profound wisdom and profound knowledge is. And he breaks it down to him like, hey, you, you might have read everything you can read in a book, but you don't know what the 16th, 16th chapel smells like, what it smells in, in, when you go into the 16th chapel. So you don't actually have the life experience that comes along with actually reading it in books. Yeah, so when I mention academic, I mean, you know, formal education. And you bring up an important point there of reading versus experiencing versus, you know, knowledge and wisdom. And I think there's a distinction between those three as well in how you synthesize information, how you synthesize communication, but also how you synthesize art. If we break down these three phases, as in, in your example, when you read, you gain information. Once you get some experience, you connect the dots, that information becomes knowledge because you know how to apply it in certain scenarios. And as you learn more over time and you gain more experience, you experience more things yourself, you get feedback from people and then it crystallizes into wisdom. Whereas you can start to interpret things more abstractly, philosophically, and also get more clarity of expression, I'd say. That's a very, that's a very good way of explaining it. I think the differences, I, I kind of, yeah, I think that's a great way to, to explain the difference. So in, in that sense, yeah. So I, I wouldn't say necessarily wisdom is important when you consider somebody a professional artist or not, but I would definitely say it's your work and the education system, not that it's necessarily, I won't go into the overrated side, but it doesn't constitute necessarily what a professional is. Like you have professionals who studied something by the book and that's why they are professionals. But you have also have professionals who never studied by the book and kind of are either self-taught or had a different learning process. And they're not any less or any more necessarily than somebody who did it through the educational system. And the best way I can explain it, because I had this conversation a couple of weeks back, when I started studying, I, the, the, the job that I'm doing currently didn't exist when I yeah, started social studying. social media, because the years. network wasn't even there yet. <laughs> no, Facebook, Facebook didn't even exist. 
when I started studying. Twitter didn't exist. Instagram didn't exist. TikTok didn't exist. I mean, there was, there was sixdegrees.com. There was, so there, there was MySpace. There was, there was Hives. So there were some considered early bird social media platforms. To, 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 to kind of conclude, it's really difficult to define whether or not somebody is an artist. I mean, it's already difficult to define if somebody's a professional artist, or, but when it comes to an artist, and you can say like, no, Diego is not an artist. He has artistic expression, but he's not an artist. And if you are aligned with what kind is your definition, basically then, then it's easy to, to come to a to conclusion where you both agree. But if you differ on the definition, it might take a while. I think the best example that we have is journalists. Like there are a lot of people who are not journalists when you, when you would describe it from, or define it from a traditional sense, they're not journalists, but the masses see them much more as journalists than other actual journalists who study to become a journalist. Yeah, because I'm not so familiar with the literature and background of journalism, but in that sense, it is bringing news or a story with research, thorough research to the masses with factual data and formed opinions to the masses, right? It's that, that's how I would define journalism. And, you know, you have these research journalists that go in the field or these detective journalists who go interview people, try to find stories and report this to the public. So basically putting a story out there based on factual and real information. And if you've okay. gone through the so traditional route or yeah. if you're coupled to a mainstream newspaper, that's where the debate usually gets heated, right? If it's in a mainstream newspaper, <laughs> that's kind of, you know, well-known that has some kind of weight versus an independent Twitter personality, for example, who just shares and does research on their own. Before we, we go back to artists, so, so quickly, in your opinion, personally, is someone working for a newspaper that's been around for 40 years, has studied journalism, and writes to an audience of maybe 2,000 people, yeah? And the second one is a person that's famous on the internet that didn't study journalism, got into the field of being a reporter on television and writes for an online company which doesn't have like a, a physical newspaper, but it's an online news site that has about 20,000 readers. Are they both considered journalists according to your definition? Now, I'm going to use my words carefully here because based on the company, company A being a physical newspaper that has been around for a track record many of years, who knows what goes through that and 
how much bureaucracy and filtering that goes through that. To a certain degree, it might be biased or also vetted. On the other hand, because you don't have the on the filtering and censorship, it might also be biased towards the person reporting. So calling them individual journalists is difficult, whereas for me, I would need more sources to verify that data. If they can tell the story with clear sources where you could verify it and they have built as the journalist, not because they're tied to this media company, as the journalist built a track record of, you know, relaying stories to the masses in a factual data research-driven way, then I would consider them journalists if both qualify. But that's my definition on how I vet if they qualify. And it's not per se the traditional academic sense how journalism is defined. So it comes down to how very verifiable political. and very political. Yeah, it comes down how verifiable is the data and how much can you cross check, check it with yeah. other people, with other sources. And that's already where a lot of times there's not enough cross checking. But to bring it back to the artist side, of course, I want to know from Devin whether or not he feels if a designer is an artist. Yes or no? I feel that's an interesting. So I would. I personally would yeah. consider Devin digital artist. Is an artist defined by his art or is his work considered art because it was made by an artist? That's a tricky one. I, I think it's let's let's leave it on for a second. I think I think there's no there's no I wouldn't say of course there's a right or wrong answer to this, but I again I feel like in the in the larger picture it doesn't really matter that. It, it doesn't matter for several reasons. One of the reasons being, it's all in the eye of the beholder. In the end, it's it's the public that decides that. And this this can be like as, and that's why it's become so hard to to focus on the educational system, because the educational system no longer is the majority judge on how things work in society. And that's partly because the educational system is outdated and didn't catch up. And was it also ever the benchmark to what you just mentioned? I think there is a group in the world that would love to have it that way. I'm not sure if it ever was because I didn't live in time before it became important to have a bachelor. Like I grew up in a period of time where a university degree was basically something that was considered must have if you wanted to exceed and grow in life. That's, that's how I grew up with, you have to have that title. And then again, even in my, when I was studying, there were still people that were like, yeah, but you don't necessarily need it. Otherwise Facebook wouldn't be there. I think we've been through this discussion as well. There's levels to it. Yeah. Because being a dropout out of Harvard is not the same as being a dropout out of community college. It's exactly. just not the same. Like most, most people cannot get into Harvard. So comparing a Harvard dropout to you who just took one semester of, of community college, for instance, that's for me, that's not the same thing. So it's hard to define, just like it's hard to define artists. 
it's hard to define education. Yeah, to really that, I'd say higher education, more academic form of education to art design, more the creative expressiveness of the professional field, I would say. How do you see that mix? Because usually the academic side is more weighted towards, you know, the statistics, the accountings, the lawyers, the businesses, whereas the artistic side is kind of seen as, I won't say a joke, but less relevant. No, it's no, it's not. It's, it's where the money is. I mean, I studied at a university that was led by the economic faculty. And it was led by the economic faculty because for those who are not familiar with how universities make money, at least a big chunk of their money, it's with academic literature. Yeah. literature. And the higher quality of academic literature that's being published by a certain university that depends on how many grants, how much money comes in. So you have eight year, you have different tiers of academic papers and academic papers that come out. And if you're like an eight year, an eight year magazine, an eight year academic magazine, it's worth more than if it's a, it's a lower tier magazine. Right. So, so when you, you mentioned have, in, yeah. Yeah, just to drive down the point, because you mentioned there, it is, or it depends where the money is, how they get money. So these yeah. eight years courses, economics, business, et cetera science certain scientists have more weight towards them so they get more grants and that's how they get funding and or they get more students to, and they get students yeah. from asia for instance are yeah. able to propel so their, just, their course so if i bring this popular phrase the starving artist so are star are artists starving in the academic sense from a economic perspective yeah because the 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 Educational programs cannot promise that if you follow a certain art course, you will get your return of investment of following that art course. Right. Right. So that's that's where that's where you get stuck. Like if you do an MBA, in, in most cases, the MBA there is, is no a certain degree that you'll be advantage to get an art degree or an art research to get a higher probability of an ROI, right? And even with a Bachelor of Arts, even with a Bachelor of Arts and a Master of Arts, it's it's considered less, I wouldn't say factual, but law, yeah, it's no, definitely not factual, but I, I can't go with it, but it's less, it's less precise. Social sciences is often considered a step down from economics already. And then when you have an arts degree, like a master of arts or a bachelor of arts degree, it's also considered a, a step down. And it all has to do with, with the economics behind. That's all, all it has to do with. No, I think that's clear with the messaging. And to come back to Farley's point, large elaboration about <laughs> Artists were actually not considered artists, but simple painters, only because their art was accepted by the public, usually after that. Is it that they were considered artists? On the other hand, we see new age artists just slapping paint on the canvas and it's seen as a mess because it is that certain me because it is that certain mainstream known artist. So what? 
should speak the art or the public acceptance. And to clarify on that point, Farley, are painters, are only painters artists? Because artists, as it, it is important to define artists, because art has different types of expression. A music Painting artist is, is also an artist. Music is another way of expression. Sculptures is another way of expression. So all that falls under the umbrella of artists. And to your point, yeah, it's kind of difficult. I guess it all depends on the context, the time frame you're in, and how the public perceives it. So the definition varies a lot, I would say. So you have the, as Jean-Luc said, the, the beholder, the receiver, because that is important as well as to how they interpret that piece of music or photo or painting. And if that's art, I guess it's art, but I'm not a professional art connoisseur, so I won't be able to add much more weight to this conversation. Yeah, I think I think we covered the, the main premise of, of the difference and whether or not you're artist. To go full circle, if you go back to your response, I think you will still say, no, I don't consider myself an artist. Yeah, agreed. Yeah. And I'm actually not an artist either, but though I, I do consider my aspiring to be in the future at some point in the future. And that's mainly true what I've experienced with my mother being an official artist. Then to get back to the second point, and we were mentioning punctuality. And punctuality is something really that I feel is something that you have to be taught and a certain amount of discipline that you would need. And I do think there are different factors that contribute to it. And for the people that don't know me, I'm not a very punctual person. And for me, it's always been a journey to be more punctual. And Diego is holding me accountable for it. And I'm actually grateful that Diego is holding me accountable for it because a lot of people in my life are not holding me accountable. And it's really hard for somebody to, who is not very punctual to become punctual to a certain extent. Because if it's not in your first nature, you will always do things that go in the way of you becoming more punctual. I think that's the best way I can explain it from, from my side. So what you consider punctuality a clashing rate for a creative person or a artistic person? Punctuality? No. No, not at all. I think punctuality mainly is an issue when you don't have other factors that kind of balance it out. So for me, for me, the thing about punctuality is let's let's keep punctuality because being late is just one part of it. There are more aspects of punctuality than, than being on time. But if we just re quickly relate it to being on time, 
I think 10 years ago, 15 years ago, definitely 15 years ago, definitely 20 years ago, it was never something that I considered important. It was not something that I took very much care of. I didn't take myself accountable for it. I wasn't very disciplined on being on time. I really didn't care. And that's also part of the acceptance that I never had to learn that or never came into a situation where I got heavily enough punished for it. So that's one of the things that that I have to consider. But now, if I look at it now, where I do kind of everything that I need to do to be on time, the moments in life currently where I'm late are often related to me planning or doing too much, which is not at all an artistic trend. Mm -hmm. For me now, if I'm late, it's either I had to do something that I find equally important or was more important at that period in time. My previous appointment went over the clock. So that's a big problem for me. My schedule now, my, my calendar schedule is filled to the max. So if I miss How a 15 minutes, how much gaps do you have between appointments? Do you have gaps to <laughs> recollect yourself? No, not enough. I've started using buffers. So there are blocks of buffers in my calendar, which I didn't have. But if we're going to run through my days, and then today was a much easier day than yesterday, I'm going to call the calendar blocks that I have in my calendar for the today. One, two, three, four, five, six, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve. We're at block 13 for today. So basically, there are at least 13 things that I did today. Yesterday, the total was 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, 18, 19. So yesterday, I had 19 tasks on my to-do list, of which I think I did 50. So today, I'm actually able to do all of them. And that's a good thing that I'm able to do all of them. But I think people, is, in, people huh? listening in, hearing those <laughs> numbers, 13 yeah. blocks, 15 blocks, yeah. are questioning whether or not you even eat, sleep, and rest. Well, people have to understand that I also plan in my personal time and my family time as well. So one of those blocks is actually eating together with my wife and my mm -hmm. kids. That's an actual block. Because if I don't plan it in, it won't happen. I wouldn't, so, I won't spend So the question becomes, how yeah. does someone who plans so minutely vary to yeah. the minute in blocks and has the discipline to really, really route, write out their day, not be punctual? Because I'm still not punctual. So that's that's what people misinterpret. They think because I plan it in, I'm not that I'm punctual. But people also have to understand where I come from. Mm. So a lot of people see this and think like, oh, you've always been like this. And this is how you structure everything. But in order to be able to do this, I have worked with assistant, executive assistant now for over two years, three, I think. Yeah. The three, same three, one. Three years. And, and we have been working together 
We have been working together for the past two years to make that possible. And we're still not there yet. Like it's, 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 it's still a work in progress. Before that, I went through at least five personal assistants. But what you have to understand is that you can't hire an assistant that fixes your calendar and then you're done. You have no, to commit to yeah, it as well. Because you, so you're I had actor. to grow to be there. Because to give people a perspective, I went to high school. In my final years of high school, I went to school with a pen and one piece of paper. Like where others would have like a, a school bag, books in it. With binders, with separators, and and labels yeah. and everything. I would go I had with those friends. and one piece of paper. That, that was my, that's how I went to school. My, my parents looked at me and like, where's your bag? And I'm like, I don't have, I don't need it. And I had this unwritten rule with my mother because we had a fight at one point that I told her like, as long as I, as long as I pass my classes and I graduate, you're not allowed to lecture me around. Yeah, the method doesn't like You can lecture me around. If I fail my grade. Yeah. But yeah. if I pass As long as the results matter. get achieved, the <laughs> method doesn't matter. I, I'm familiar with yeah. that as well. And, so I, I want to the university it was this, even worse. Actually. I'm, I'm going to break, break it down a little bit too so people have an understanding where I came from. When I went to the university, I would bike to the university in Tilburg and then hope that I would be in time to meet up with a couple of my friends. And they would tell me where the classes were at what time because I didn't write it down in my calendar. I didn't use a calendar on the, until I started working, ever. Yeah. So that gives kind of a perspective of how difficult it's, it's for me to, to go from, from one to, to another. And it's, it's fair what, what, what Devin says. We all have 24 hours in a day. And I just, I just try to, I just try to maximize right now because I wasn't always like this. So I think I missed the part. My yep. browser just crashed. So I had to yeah. refresh. But you were going to ask a question. Yeah. Let me recollect my thoughts again. Yeah. You were mentioning the blocks of time. So to bridge this back to arts and creativity and this more to the creativity part, are blocks of time like discipline? allocated blocks of time, restrictive or constructive to creativity? Restrict, for sure. For sure. For, for 100%. But uh, they're restrictive towards your creativity, but they're very supporting to productivity. So I can just do, if I work structured, I can just do more in a day. To relate creativity to productivity, so does creativity to a certain extent deter productivity? Yeah, but it's what do you value in life though? So I do let's, feel- Let's, this, let's bring yeah. this to a yeah. business example. Let's say either yeah. you're working on a video or a campaign for social media or launching a book. So- you have a restricted amount of time, whereas you still need enough creative input to be able to, one, communicate the message you need to send, but within a restricted time block. So how do you balance those two, the productivity and creativity? Where do you say enough is enough 
And where do you say, oh, I need to try something else because this is not good enough. It's not different enough to stand out. The market decides. That's, that's the whole thing. So if you're a really good creator, for instance, if you're a really good creator, people are willing to pay for that because you're really good and there's nobody else that can deliver what you deliver. Like if you're really good, people will love what you do and they will, they will throw money at you to say like, create more, create more, create more. If I look at like popular artists in Suriname, let's talk about Psycho. People are willing to throw money at Psycho because he's so good in his craft that he's recognized. But when you're not as recognized as he is, you have to understand he is like, when it performance wise, let, let's take Kater Karma and Psycho. For me, Kater Karma is the best studio artist in Suriname. If you go to YouTube, he has the most videos with a million views. He has like 15 videos with a million views. If you listen to his music, it's music that you can listen to all through the day. It's beautiful messaging. Even it's, 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 it's something you can like, you can always listen to. But if you talk about performing on a stage, who gets the most, who gets the most recognition when he performs on stage? Who gets the crowd the craziest? It's cycle. And it's because of their artistic expressions that one is more popular at home listening to, and the other is more popular on stage. But here's the interesting fact factor. Psycho, his brand is towards performing live. Kater Karma's brand is towards music that feels good. All right. So, so it's the messaging. That's where they specialize in. Yeah, it's the messaging that they have. Like it's really hard to even get Kater Karma on stage. You have to pay a lot more than just to listen to his music. So there's there's choices that artists make what their brand's going to be and what they want to focus on. And to that point, I want to drill this down. They have crafted or mastered their craft over the years and they have established themselves within this position. And I would consider them artists. I think you'd consider them artists as well. Fair enough. So these are artists that have been one master craft over many years and have been recognized by the public. Whereas now you are an individual working in a company and you need to, one, have creative input in your product. So you are not the individual or the artist being recognized behind it, but you are part of a larger engine and you need to output, let's say, if we're talking about movies, if you're talking about a show, you have a bigger team there. You have the creative writers, you have the directors of photography, you have the editors. So it's not one person or one brand or even one company behind it. So how do you manage that creativity with production? Productivity, I mean. I had to accept, for instance, that I had to move out of an operational role. I had to really accept that. Because part of me wants to show, always wants to show, like, I can do this. I still have the creative side in me. I never had the project management side in me. So that's easier to let go and say like, hey, project management, you take care of it. Because aside from not being punctual, structured is not also my strong suit. So making sure, and that's also because I do 
a little bit too much, but that's, that's a personal reason why I use that. So for that side, I don't, but from the creative side, I do want to do more with creativity, but I have as a, as a, as a director, as a CEO, you have certain roles that you have to fulfill within a company. That's also really important as well. So even if I want to do something, if it's not something that at that point is going to add value to the company, unfortunately, I let it go. I think the bigger discussion is within the operations itself. You have, like you said, you have different tasks and different roles within a company when you create something. And it's hard for somebody who works structured, who wants to have like a shot list and work through the shot list in a structured way. And something who is someone who is impulsively creative and just goes on the impulse saying like, hey, this is the shot we need and just completely abandons the shot list to get a shot that makes the client go, wow. And that's the constant battle that's the constant battle i think you that, that you have in the creative perfect word there it's a battle it's a struggle it's a basically within that moment yes you prepare for your production timeline your production output you prepare something but within that framework it is up to the creatives to basically catch moments catch the attention, catch, or create something quite different than what would be expected or really outshine the norm, I would say. So I think you put, nailed it on the head there that it's a constant battle, but it does require setting a framework and then within that framework, fighting the battle of creative expression. Whereas if you don't have that framework or deadline, you'll keep pushing, you'll keep pushing, and then the production never goes out. The book never gets written. The song never gets published. So I do think it's important to have that framework and that block of time to have that constraint, but push that creativity within it. Because can you call an art piece Perfect. So, how familiar are we with Leonardo da Vinci's work? I'm not a historian, but I've seen some of, I think the most popular is the uh, Mona Lisa, I think. It's pretty much known if you're like familiar with Leonardo da Vinci. I went actually to Florence, to Florence. I went to Florence. I convinced my parents because they wanted to go to Italy. I wanted to go to Florence because it was known that the museum there at the time had the most works of Leonardo da Vinci. They were in, in any museum in the world. And I didn't know up until then that Leonardo da Vinci rarely finished his art. There are a lot, there are a lot of art pieces by Leonardo da Vinci. Most of his art pieces were never finished. It's, it's really, because you mentioned the deadline thing and the art the thing and when is something is something finished, it's, it's really weird to like one of, I have one of his pictures. I used to have one of his art pieces framed in my old bedroom at my parents' house. The art piece wasn't finished. It was abandoned at a certain point and he just started working on something else and it, it, it just laid there. And then you're like, wait, 
this this is things creativity, you know. And all that left was just saying like, as an artist, I'm not gonna finish this. Screw this. I'm I'm gonna go towards my next. Because what's the definition of finish? And when you're working with clients, yeah. So 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 when you start working, and that's where like monetary again, it all has to do with the monetary system. It all has to do with the monetary reward. You can even argue that if it's sold, it's no longer art. Yeah, that's 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 that a different argument. discussion. But I do want to go yeah. back a second to the comments because I see a light discussion between Tevin and Farley. For example, when we had a discussion around framing or being it for monetary gains, whereas Tevin mentioned, I'm not sure if you're familiar with Banksy, but it's an anonymous artist, I guess, online. And he has a very distinctive style and he does it very expressively. On the point of, is it the public that this decides if it's an artist or is it the artist? You got to realize that Banksy has at least a 30-year track record of producing this art. He started with pencil and shifted through media, through experimentation. And it has been basically his life's journey. And he has been recognized for that. So would you be able to compare an amateur artist or a I wouldn't call it amateur up-and-coming artists who's busy one or two years with their craft to someone who's Banksy, like Banksy, who has been over decades mastered his craft and be recognized by, I'd say, millions of people. And it's so distinctive that once you see it, you could recognize it. I think that's a different category on its own. And Banksy was known before social media was right. a thing. Yeah. So... That's a whole different category because then he can do what he wants because he has established one, the brand, the reputation, and he can do whatever he wants and not even ask money for it because people are willing to pay millions for it. So in that example, I I just wanted to bring that into the conversation because once you've gone to that level, then yeah, you deserve the title artist. Fair enough. And you can do whatever you want because it doesn't matter anymore because there's no, I'd say, pressure of an outside force or restriction placed on you or monetary survival game. So I I do want to jump into the last, this one. Like the example with, with, you're gonna. I'm not sure if you're gonna agree that I call Mr. Beast an artist. For me, he's an artist as well. But the the, the idea yeah. with people, the the early work, like with a lot of artists, the first CD is the most. If you're like a true, if you're truly inspired by them, often the first CD is the one that inspires you the most, because the music is the most authentic, and it was so authentic that they. That's the broke yeah, that's the breakthrough moment. Crowd. That's the the one. Yeah, that's the breakthrough for. moment. So yes. So that's what they recognize for. So that makes total sense that the first the early the early things. I mean, there's gonna be a point in NF's career that people are like gonna be like, and that's what he's trying to avoid. NF is an artist that really he it feels the, the reason why they love him so much as an artist is before because they feel they can relate because he doesn't only 
talk about what's good in his life, but he also talks about his struggles, which is something pretty similar that Eminem went through in the sense like when he came out, he was different. And now he's still different, but now he does it in ways that are like uh, like by the broader audience instead of the the core group that they in the beginning. So for Ed Sheeran, for instance, he does a lot of collaborations now with international artists because that's what it's expected from. And the reason why I brought up Mr. Beast is that even Mr. Beast is transitioning in to video concept for a broader audience. It's not the same kind of concepts that he used to do. He can't do those kind of concepts anymore because he has to make concept for a broader audience. And that's where people get lost. That's where some people, once they come into this commercialized scene, they lose themselves in it because there's so much pressure from others. Do it this way. Do it that way. We like this. We like that. We, we want to do this. And then you lose kind of part of the creativity just dies down because you go for something that pleases the most people. Is it fair to say that as artists, as creators become more recognized and I want to hold in this corner of the discussion at here on Mr. Beast, they become mainstream versus Banksy who still does his own thing. Is it a fallacy or trap that they become entrapped by the wider audience and the monetary gain or the monetary gain? Not necessarily the monetary gain because I don't feel that Ed Sheeran does that for monetary gain either. If it if it's, if it's comes to down to him, he, he can still crash a couch. Pretty sure he yeah. can still crash a couch if he wants. It's a little bit more difficult to do it now, but if he wants to, he can still do it. So I don't, from, from a monetary gain, I wouldn't say. What about from the expectation of the wider audience? Is that a trap? It is a trap. Like one of the people who suffered from it a lot was Mecklemore, for instance. And people, the, the people that suffer from that trap or people that did something wrong according to the mainstream audience that went a route that he or she thought would connect or be relatable, relatable with the mainstream audience, but they rebelled against it. That's, that's like the, that sentence of artists that, that pop up. Because here's the thing, once you pop up, that's why there are so many considered one-hit wonders. Because once you pop up, are you able to, to sustain sustain that level of engagement, that level of awareness? Are you able to, to, to keep that in a durable and a sustainable way? And if you're not, it's going to be, you're going to go up. Everybody's going to know you're going to quickly be forgotten again. That's a fair point. So to close us off, and we talked about this a lot as well, and Harley mentioned a comment of this in the beginning, how in danger are artists because of AI? I had this discussion with somebody, a creative in my team, because our project managers love AI. 
because it eases us. And the worry with creatives is like, hey, hold on, wait a minute. It's not going to be authentic if I use AI tomorrow. We had Mike Alton on last week, our last episode, and he mentioned like one of the problems with AI as well. But you also have to consider, and he also discussed like, like this is part of the evolution. He even said, Eva said, like AI is is much more feasible for the next step that we make than than the metaverse, for instance, to break through when it comes to mainstream. And in a certain sense, why wouldn't you expect to say like, I don't need it or I won't use it? It's the same as Google. 20 years ago, like you can come up things on your own. You can get an encyclopedia or you can just Google it. Like it's a choice that you have to make and make it work for yourself. But I want to even extend it further. It's like wearing glasses. Were there people in time? We don't know, but there probably were some people in time. I'm not going to use glasses because if I use glasses, my eyesight is going to go away quicker and I want to be able to naturally see everything. It's the same with it's the same with epidurals. Epidural, what? Like I yeah, epidurals when uh, when you give birth as a woman, you can say like I want a natural birth. You don't have to do it, but you can still get a natural birth if it's that what you prefer. But in some cases, people advise you to take an epidural. So you can say, and I'm I'm giving real extreme examples just to get the conversation going and to to think about these kind of things. You can say like, I don't need AI. You can go through life without using AI. You can also go through life getting addicted to AI. Like stop thinking and just AI, 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 everything. And that in the end is going to make you a lesser skilled human being and a lesser skilled professional because you rely on technology too much. Unless you're that good at it, that it becomes an advantage for you because you're the best when it comes to using AI, which means you get recognition for what you produce and what you put out. So from those perspectives, it is possible. But I would say AI for me, I mean, without AI, the topic of today wouldn't have existed. So that's that's even like we, this conversation, everything we spoke about in the last hour, came out of our own minds and has no AI. We didn't look at our screen, searched it, and then gave a response that we found through AI or found through something else. It's fully authentic. Which might be We're coming, actually, authentic. but yeah. So yeah. far, it hasn't. It's a fully authentic conversation. Like, especially the, answer, the, the, the responses or the answers to our questions are fully authentic. It's, it's us. It's the way we think. But there is AI support built into this episode, whether you like it or not. It's a tool, like Devon said. Yeah, so my quick take on it before we close off on Farley's comment in danger, and Devin already mentioned it, it's a tool. I think the bigger danger of, or the biggest danger to artists and not just artists, anyone using technology or basically just living their lives is not adapting to the technology, is not adapting to the tools. Yes, you can go on without it, but someone else will use it to their advantage. And you may be fine without it. That's perfectly possible as well because 
there will always be a niche to a certain degree of people wanting specific things. But the most distinctive technological shift I can think of in recent history is the debate between painters and photography. That was a whole big debate because that was a major leap in technological advancement of capturing a family on a piece of paper or a image. You have one side, someone using the tool, and on the other side, you have someone hand drawing or hand painting that family. And then the next step of that was the introduction of Photoshop. Wow, when photography was recognized as an art, came Photoshop. Now you had the whole debate between the analog and the digital photographers or creators. So AI is just another tool in the arsenal. It is up to the people to be able to adapt and use that tool. And I'm pretty sure there's going to be new forms of artists created. Because with digital technology, for example, you have algorithmic art, art that changes over time on screens, programmable art. Do you not consider that art? Because someone had to be creative enough to create that formula and visualize it. So I see AI as just an extension, as a tool, and the people most in danger are those that are not willing to learn and adapt to it. In every technological advancement we made in life, it's always about how the people use it. I think that's a good place to leave it. Think about it. As always, this was Social Compost. The episodes will be available on all streaming platforms and on the website, compost.com. If you want to watch it in video, make sure to check out Diego Amaral's YouTube channel and we will be back here next week, same place, same time. Thank you for tuning in for Social Convos. Bye-bye.